0: Uh, today, we're going to talk about something that people kind of try to, to work around it, uh, to run from it. But it's a topic that we need to talk to. It's a topic that's a reality for all of us. Uh, it's not a very popular topic these days, but the Bible talks about it. And the better we understand it, the better we can understand God's plan for us as well. So before we dig deeper into the topic for t- this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer. I'm going to kneel down here. All those who can are invited to, But let's all uh, be in a spirit of prayer before we start. Father, this is a special moment where we are going to open the Bible and we're going to see what message we ha- you have for us this morning. Father, in everything that we do we know that you are near us and you want the best for us you've planned uh, uh you you've come up with a rescue plan for us that we may again be in union with you be in a relationship with you and in fellowship with our brothers and sisters so please lord help us this morning to understand this this point And help us go to the Bible and find in the Bible the answers we need for the questions in our lives. Use me as your instrument. Anoint my lips. May every word that I say come from your throne of grace. May I not convey my own ideas, but your word. That's my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in our key text this morning, Paul says something. He says... Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am, I am chief, I'm number one among all sinners, I'm the first on the list. So he's saying that he's a sinner, and he's saying that there are other sinners as well. And like I said, talking about sin is not a very popular thing. Because people these days would rather think that they are either uh, sick, or they're just making mistakes as a result of the circumstances. But it's not really their fault. And if you say to someone, or if you say to yourself, or someone comes to you and says, Oh, that was a sin. That doesn't really resonate well. Because you'd rather think that, no, it was... Uh, It was the environment. It was the others. We all was led to do that. Well, everybody does that. But the Bible does have a message about sin. On the other hand, I should say this. There are more books on sin than there are on heaven, for example. And I think the reason is why those who stop and think about it, we can't really understand sin fully. So it's, there's a big question mark. And because of that people research, research, study, study and write books about it. But like I said in the beginning, the better we understand this issue, this problem of sin, the better we'll be able to appreciate God's gift of salvation. Because if we don't understand sin, what do I need to be saved from? So we need to understand it. So my message today is not to is not supposed to be a, a gloomy, a doomy message. But we need to understand the problem of sin. For example, some questions that people ask themselves, some questions that you may have asked yourself, and I I can't say if you had the answers or not. But are if if human beings are born with a tendency to sin, should they then? Be considered, should they then be considered uh, responsible for their actions? If they already have this tendency, are they still responsible for the mistakes they do, for the sins they commit? Are we sinful because we sin? Or do we sin because we're sinful? So, in other words, are we sinners by birth? Or have we developed the bad habit of sinning? Could it be that humankind is in a state of rebellion against God? Are we going to be measured according to uh, are we going to be measured in comparison to other human beings or there is a more universal standard by which each one of us will be measured? Do we today, does our society today understand what sin is, and what it means to sin? Do we understand it? What does it mean to say that we have a sinful nature? You must have heard this. You must have said that. You must have read that. We have a sinful nature. What does that really mean? Well, today I hope you brought your Bible if you have not there are some bibles in the pews you you better grab one before we run out of them because someone else may grab it because you need your bible today you very very much need your bible today we're going to go in se- to several places in scripture before we come back to first timothy chapter one so turn your bibles to galatians chapter five verses 16 and 17 galatians 5 16 and 17. once you find it you say amen amen galatians 5 16, 17. and the apostle paul saying is writing into the galatians he says i say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. Oh, sorry, the spirit doesn't lust. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul is saying here that there is a problem here. That our flesh, our body, lusts, wrestles against the spirit there is a fight there is a battle right there so we do have a sinful nature and this sinful nature this flesh of ours it fights it lusts against the spirit that's what paul is saying right here so our answers to the questions i just asked and there there are probably other questions you've asked you've asked yourselves yourself in regard to this subject but our questions depend on first Depend on our understanding of God. Our understanding of who God is. Our answers depend on our understanding of who we are. And depends on the relationship between God and us. And our answers to those questions will determine my relationship with Christ. And His righteousness. And it will also determine how I relate to other people. For example, if I consider men, if I consider the human being, to be born essentially good, and some people believe that. that people are born essentially good. And it is the environment, it is a, a nurture that makes them bad. If I believe, if I see men like that, then my preaching will be one of continual affirmation. I'll just affirm people. But if I see that there is a problem in human nature, if I realize that there is something wrong with the flesh, then my preaching will be one of redemption, of love, calling people to transformation in Christ. Like I said, it's not a popular thing to talk about sin. No one wishes to be seen as bad or sinful or evil. And like death, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is not a very appealing subject. Concepts like error, guilt, and sin, they seem to be irrelevant these days. Everything is rela- uh, rel- relative. Now, there, is a psycho- there was a psychologist. He died in 1982. Uh, he was an American psychologist. His name was Hobart Moer, Moer. He was not a Christian. Actually, he became a Christian in the latter part of his life for a while. But he, he left the church disappointed with some things. So he was not a Christian when he wrote this. He was a professor. He was a professor at Harvard. He was a professor at Yale, at the University of Illinois. And he said this, Just as long as we deny the reality of sin, we cut ourselves off it seems, from the possibility of radical redemption. Look, this is, a, this is a university professor saying something like this. And it caused quite a stir among his peers. Later on in life, he still said this, To have the excuse of being sick, rather than sinful, is to court the danger of also becoming lost. In becoming a moral, ethically neutral, and free, we have cut the very roots of our being, lost our deepest sense of selfhood and identity, and we find ourselves asking, Who am I? What is my deepest destiny? What does living mean? You see, this is not a preacher. But he's talking that deep down we need to confront the reality that there is a sin problem. That we are sinful, because if we don't, we won't even find, we won't won't even understand who we are, and what's our deepest destiny. But what does Scripture say about sin? Let's go back to Scripture. 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. Whenever someone who's been a Christian for a while, or studying the Bible, is asked, what's the definition of sin? We typically resort to this text. The Apostle John says, whoever commits sin also commits what? Lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know lawlessness? The Greek word anomia, It means to live completely devoid of any respect to the law so that's a classic definition of sin sin is lawlessness whoever commits sins commits lawlessness lives apart from the law from the requirements of the law and the definitions of sin we find in the bible i should say this they are more related to acts to visible actions that clearly go against god's law okay the bible the bible shows several in several instances people committing acts that go against god's law so that's one of the definitions of sin in the bible turn your bibles to leviticus chapter 6 verses 2 and 3. leviticus chapter 6 verses 2 and 3. And here the Bible says if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor so the Bible is calling lying to someone else a sin okay it's an act something you do you do or you did so lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has ex- extorted from his neighbor. It, there is another action. Someone who extorts from his neighbor. Or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it. Another another wrong act. And swears falsely something else that the person does wrong. In any of these things that a man may do in which he sins. So that's one definition of sin in the Bible. Clearly related to th- wrong things that you do james james chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 now go back to the new testament james small book after the book of hebrews james chapter 2 verses 8 9 if you think your bible doesn't have james i'm sure it has it's just a short book right after hebrews james 2 8 9 james says if you are really if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well but if you show partiality you commit sin so here is an action a wrong action showing partiality uh, towards people and you are convicted by the law as transgressors go back with me to luke to the gospel of luke chapter 15 verse 21 gospel of luke chapter 15 verse 21 and and he refined in the very words of jesus and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight and i'm no longer worthy to be called your son here's the prodigal son talking to his dad and say i saying i have sinned against heaven and in your sight i have done all these things wrong i have left home i have uh wasted our money and everything now i'm back so i did all of that wrong i've committed sin against heaven and in your sight so the bible clearly says that wrong things done are sin it's just not uh it's just not a sickness it's just not their circumstances but it is sinful it is a sin however while the bible has many, many, many references, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to sin as being a wrong action, as being an act of transgression. The Bible also depicts sin as a result of an internal disposition, a spiritual disease that having infected the human heart, it compels us to sin. The Bible also shows this. Go back with me to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter five, verses twenty one and twenty two. Matthew five twenty one twenty two. I warned you, I told you we were gonna go all over the Bible this morning. Matthew five twenty one twenty two says You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus is talking initially about an action, a sinful action. Committing a transgression against the law. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus is saying that even just being angry towards your brother is a sin. You may not... You may not let it out you may not do anything about it you may not hurt your brother but if you feel angry about them you're already committing sin go back to the old testament with me now in the book of hosea that's another short book hosea right after the book of daniel daniel hosea hosea chapter 4 verse 8 Isaiah four eight, and here the prophet says, "They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity." So he he's talking about having a heart full of iniquity and that sin, that sin. Go back with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah right after Isaiah. Jeremiah seventeen nine. Jeremiah seventeen nine, and there we find the, these words the heart is what the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it so right deep down in in man's heart there is this disease the heart is deceitful the heart is full of evil is desperately wicked and who can know it so being sinful having a sinful nature not only prompts men to doing wrong things but just the, the, the wrong attitude, the wrong thoughts, evil thoughts that pervade our mind, are a result of having a sinful nature. This spiritual disease, like I said, that prompts us, gives us a tendency to commit sin. And it makes sense, because you know, it's still in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. The Lord, knowing that our heart is deceitful, that our heart is desperately wicked. The Lord says in Jeremiah 31, 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put what? My law where? In their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the Lord wants to transform our hearts and minds and inscribe right in there his law so we want sin against him so we won't have this this tendency this irresistible tendency to sin so we see that sin after we'd have seen, said so far sin is the failure to conform whether actively or in a passive way to god's law okay whether it's active or passive the failure to conform to god's law is called sin in the bible it's needless even to say that god's law was established for maintaining maintaining the order of the universe and to keep safe his creatures everything in god's law every every law that god has established Whether it's natural laws or moral laws. They were created to keep all of his creation in in safety. And failing to live according to God's plan. And to God's stipulations. Whether through actions, thoughts or whatever is sin. Going against any of God's laws is sin. So, in fact, when you go back to 1st John 3, 4, where the Bible says that lawlessness is sin, we understand that lawlessness is a very comprehensive word. Lawlessness is translated as iniquity in some texts of the Bible. For example, in Matthew twenty three twenty eight, Matthew twenty three twenty eight, the Lord says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But within, you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And this word, iniquity, is the same anomia, the same word that is translated in 1 John 3, 4, as lawlessness. So, your hearts are full of hypocrisy, of iniquity, of lawlessness. And there are words in the Old Testament as well, that uh, in the Hebrew, mean iniquity, lawlessness. For example, turn your bibles with me to ezekiel 28 15 book of ezekiel 28 15 are you still with me are you still with me okay i hope so ezekiel 28 verse 15 this is a a a proclamation against the king of tyre okay But it also points to the origin of sin in Lucifer's heart. So the Bible says here, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. So iniquity, lawlessness, was found in Satan's heart. Now, let's think about it. Could it be that the origin of sin in Lucifer's heart, as the Bible describes it, could it be that it could give us... A clue about the origin of sin in general does that make sense if we if we check out what what was the origin of sin in Lucifer's heart maybe can we have a clue about the origin of sin of every sin would that be possible do you think it makes sense I'll ask the question again do you think that if we study the origin the reasons why Lucifer committed sin or uh, we can't really explain the reasons but what I mean is if we study the origin of sin in Lucifer's heart do you think that will give us an idea about the origin of any sin of sin in general yes or no I would think so I would think that studying the origin of sin in Lucifer's heart and mind will give us a pretty good idea of the origin of sin in every heart So let's read Isaiah. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Now here we see the prophet talking specifically about Lucifer. The day star, the morning star. And here we find, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of of the morning so let's read it attentively now how you were cut down to the ground you who weakened the nations now here's the problem here's the origin of the problem for you said in your heart i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will also sit on the mountain of the congregation In the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Like we commonly say, it was an eye problem, right? I will do this. I will do that. I will position myself even above the most high. So what is the root of sin? self selfishness right there and that's a common root to all sins selfishness in fact that's what the Bible is showing us here and uh, you know many scholars like I said many books have been written many scholars have argued that selfishness is at the essence of sin it doesn't take a university degree to find out that Lucifer is full of selfishness, right here in these texts. And you remember when Satan came to tempt Eve, he came with uh, flattering words, and he came disguised and possessing a, a beautiful serpent as a medium, and he came to Eve, and Eve was flattered with the hope, flattered with the hope of entering a higher sphere of understanding, of knowledge, of wisdom. Higher sphere than what God had assigned to her, so when the when the serpent said all of those beautiful things, Eve thought, "Well, maybe there is more. God is holding me back. God God is preventing me from entering this higher sphere. So I want to go higher." And there you see the "I" thing, the "I" problem again. Turn your Bibles with me, please, to First Timothy six ten. So, keep that in mind. At the root of every sin is selfishness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says that the love of what? Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So wait a minute, Pastor. We saw in Isaiah that self is at the root of every sin. But now Paul is saying that it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. But you see, the love of money is is actually the love of self. Because you, you, you can grab your money if you have cash in your pocket. You can grab it. You can caress it. You may hug it. You may kiss it. It won't love you in return, will it? Will it do anything for you in return? No. People love money because, what, because of what they can do with money. Not because of what money can do for them. People love money because money can please themselves. Because money can feed their dreams and can fuel their greediness actually. When when we look at that, we understand that the love of self, the love of money, love of self, is at the root of all sin, of all evil. And the most genuine manifestation of selfishness is our repeated effort to displace, to dislodge God From his own throne of authority, and place ourselves right there. You know that may sound like a harsh word, but that's the truth. Whenever we commit sin, whenever we feed our thoughts with selfishness, we're actually trying. At the bottom line, we're trying to take the place that is reserved for God only. Because we want to take control of our lives, we want to take control of our destiny, we want to take full control of our actions. We want to displace God, take his authority over our lives. Now let me go back to a question we had in the beginning. Are we sinners because we commit sins? Or do we commit sins because we are sinners? we have an answer so far? After what we studied so far? Do we? Okay, it's not a test. You can keep the answer to yourselves. That's all right, but think about it. Are we sinners because we commit sins? Or do we commit sins because we're sinners? Well, I, I can guarantee that no one here today can tell me exactly when they committed their first sin. Nobody can. So that's an indication that we didn't have a choice. That's an indication that we were born sinners. Okay, and that's what David says. That, okay, here's the pastor was saying this, but you can turn to the Bible to Psalm 51 verse 5. Go back to Psalm 51 verse 5. This is a key text, very important. Psalm 51 5, I'm reading now from the King James Version. And it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin, did my mother conceive me? Was David being disrespectful to his mother, saying that she was committing sin when she, when she conceived him? No. He was just saying that that's who we are. We have a sinful nature. And my mother was a, was a sinful person, as, was a sinner as much as I am, so she conceived me in sin. So that's something that we have inherited. We have inherited this fallen, this sinful nature. Now, this is very important that we keep in mind. Not only we have this sinful condition, our flesh is diseased, is ill. But we also were born separated from God. And that's very important. There is a two-fold dimension to that. It's not only that I've been born with this decayed nature that prompts me to sin. But I was born separated from God, from birth. Because when when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they fell, that's what happened. There was a huge gap that that was created between man and God. So much so that it took Jesus to come and died to bridge this gap, to make reconciliation between man and God. Haven't we studied that at some point already? So, it's not just that we are sinners because we have this sinful nature. We are also born separated from God. That's why we need a Savior. It's not just about behavior. It's not just about acting right doing what is right, and avoiding what is wrong. No, it's more than that. It's that we need to be reconciled with God. So we needed a Savior. You see, when I say that we are born in sin, like David says, we are conceived in sin, and we inherited this fallen nature. The Bible confirms this. Turn back with me please to Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Genesis 1, And actually, as a matter of fact, just this morning in the pastor of Sabbath school class, we were talking about this, about being created in God's image and in His likeness. Genesis 1, That's a Bible text that says exactly that. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So, God created man in his image and after his likeness. Now, look at this. I don't know if you ever noticed this text, but just a few chapters down, chapter 5 now in the book of Genesis. Chapter 5 and verse 3. <clears throat> Genesis 5, 3. Remember, now this is after Adam's fall. Okay? After Adam and Eve fall. Genesis 5, 3 says that Adam lived how long? 130 years, he lived 930, but he lived 130 until he begot a son. How? In his own likeness. After what? Hmm. Look at this. So Adam was created after was created in God's likeness, after His image. But Seth was born of Adam and Eve after Adam's likeness. And in his after his image and in his likeness, so there is no way around it. We've inherited this decayed nature, this sinful nature. And look now at just a few more chapters down. Genesis chapter eight, verse twenty-one. Genesis eight twenty-one says, "The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart." I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is what? Evil. From when? From his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So, my brothers and sisters, we were born with this fallen nature. Seth was born uh, in Adam's likeness after his image. And the Lord is saying here that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, from birth, from childhood. We can't get away from it. No child needs to be taught how to sin. None of you can remember when we committed our first sin, none of us. All, all of us, we have sinned throughout our journey. And that's what 1st 1 John 1, 1.8 says. 1st 1 John 1, 1.8. Let's go there to the New Testament, going back to the book of John. 1st 1 John 1, 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, like I said, I'm not bringing this message to discourage anyone. But we need to recognize that there is a twofold dimension in the problem of sin. First. That we are sinners. We are born with this fallen nature. And we do commit sins. And we have been born, we were born separated from God. It was a big, huge gap that we could not cross over, unless Jesus would come. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, 12. Romans chapter 5, 12. That's a well-known passage. Are you still with me? Anybody? fell asleep already? No. Romans 5, 12. Paul says here, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all what? Sinned. Uh, Like I said, many, many books have been written about this. I am not sure we can tell precisely How? Because of Adam's sin, sin spread to all men. But we know that death spread to all men, like Paul is saying here, because all sinned. So, I'm not responsible for Adam's sins. Okay? I am not responsible for Adam's sins. Neither was Adam responsible for my sins. That needs to be made clear, because Paul is saying here that death... Spread to all men, because all sinned. So, I'm responsible for my actions. Any sin that I commit, I am responsible for, and nobody else. My father is not responsible for my sins. And, I'm not responsible for the sins of my children. They are responsible for their own sins. Some people believe that, because the Bible uses the expression that we were in Adam. In the sense that Adam was the first man, the the father of us all. And then everyone descended from Adam. So once Adam sinned, we are also sinning with him. Well that's what's called the original sin. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible is not saying that I sinned because I was a descendant of Adam. Adam committed his sins and he was responsible for that. And I'm responsible for my sins. If I say that I was sinning in Adam's sin, it's the same to say that Jesus was sinning in Adam's sin. Does it make sense? I'll repeat it, because it doesn't seem to make sense to you. So, if I say that because I'm descendant of Adam, that I was sinning with Adam when Adam, sin- Adam sinned, I'm also saying that Jesus was sinning, but Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, because Jesus was also a descendant of Adam, as far as his human nature was concerned. So, the Bible says that Jesus did not sin, but yet he was born a baby, born of a woman. So, we are sinners, because we inherited this sinful nature. And we are indeed, you know, as much as we may try sometimes, we hurt other people, even when we don't mean it. We let other people down. We struggle to keep our word. And not always we manage to do it. We fight for supremacy. We shy from our responsibilities. And in so many many things we fail because even though the spirit is willing, the flesh is what? Is weak that's our common denominator we are all sinners this tendency to sin is an infecting disease that we have inherited from our first parents but the message i I brought today is not to discourage anyone is not to discourage myself i brought this message because we need to realize this and uh, my next opportunity preaching here to you i i want to walk you through i want to get away from this topic and walk you through uh, dealing with sin itself when we face temptation we talked a little bit about this in the sabbath school as brother david says when we face temptation how can we resist temptation and going beyond this how can we overcome sin in our lives and what does it mean to have a perfect risen savior whose righteousness he bestows and He covers us with. What does that mean? I want to walk you through all of that. But today we had to start with this. Because we need to understand it. Like I said, the more, the better we understand the problem of sin, the more we will appreciate the price that Jesus paid for us. He is the bridge that crosses the gap between God and me. The sin of Adam and Eve caused a fearful separation between god and man and here christ steps in between fallen man and god and says to man you may yet come to the father there is a plan devised through which god can be reconciled to man and men to god and through a mediator you can approach god this is a quotation from the review and herald of may 31 1870. When I realized the condition that we as human beings are in. When you truly realize that. We'll spend the rest of our days concerned with not only my interests. My concerned with the salvation of others as well. With the redemption of those around me. The soul that God has created and that Christ has redeemed. Is of great value because of the possibilities before it the spiritual advantages that have been granted it the capabilities that it may possess, that it may possess if vitalized by the word of god and the immortality it may gain through the hope presented in the gospel acts of the apostles page page 370 so here is the good news open your bible to first timothy let's go back to our scripture text for today first timothy Chapter 1 and verse 15. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save whom? That's you and me, praise the Lord. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Jesus Christ came to save you and I, and it's because the fact that He came, it is because of His sacrifice, it is because of His resurrection and intercessory ministry that we have a chance, that we have hope of being reconciled with God. This week I was uh, I was studying with my children. Their Sabbath school lesson. Talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and when he was going to Golgotha and, and uh, was being bitten and, and flogged. And after all of that they gave him something to drink. And he couldn't stand it because it was bitter. And after he, he couldn't drink it, they came up to him and they spit on him. And I was telling my children, you see people walk walk their dogs in your neighborhood. Those who live in the city, still, they walk their dogs in the neighborhood. And the dogs go and, and make what they have to, and do what they have to do in your yard, right? In your front yard. And sometimes they clean after, but sometimes they don't. Now I told my children, uh, I, if you dare go down there and spit on the face of that dog, not that you should do that, but... If you did that, you'd be in trouble, right? It's not right to do that to the poor animal. But I mean, you'd be in trouble with the person, with the owner. Now think that they did that to Jesus. It was real. This is not a story. They spit on Jesus' face. And they and they, they give him a stick, a reed. And they put the crown of thorns on his head. And after... They, they mocked him. They took the stick and hit his head with that. That's just disgraceful. And Jesus suffered it all. Because he knew that something needed to be done. To save you and me. I hope you can appreciate how great love Jesus has for us. And that in spite of our sinful natures. In spite of the sins we've committed, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. May God bless you all.